Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four, and today we're going to look at verses twelve to nineteen. First Peter chapter four, verses twelve to nineteen, and um, Peter's summarizing his instructions here over the last few chapters about enduring suffering. Uh, his letter to the churches and to you and I. Uh, is drawing to a close. We've got just one more chapter here after this, and um, he's going to give them a final reminder and give you and I a final reminder of how Christians are to respond to suffering in these last days until Jesus returns. Uh, we, from, the, from the first verse here in verse 12, we kind of get an idea that Peter is anticipating the level of suffering to increase at the current state of things as he's described it. It has been pretty much just verbal attacks, verbal persecution and slander, maybe growing into a little bit more to where it might, might be, thank you, to where it might be the confiscation of property and things like that, but widespread martyrdom hasn't happened yet, but it's on the horizon. We know that to be true. Uh, and so, of course, God being the author of, of this epistle, using Peter, uh, there may be a bit of prophetic uh, implications here that the level of suffering is going to increase. And he calls us here one last time to endure Christ-like suffering uh, with a Christ-like faith. And he does so with a promise that if you and I will do that, God will be glorified and we will receive blessing. That's the promise from God. So uh, let's read it. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, we're so thankful for it. Suffering's going to happen, whether we have a relationship with God or not. It's part of the human experience. It's part of sin's entrance into the world. But we have a gift from you uh, in uh, instruction on how to persevere through suffering for your glory and for our good. Lord Peter has described and called us to this for about two chapters now. And so uh, we know that this is part of our experience as believers, and we want to come through that suffering in a way that magnifies your worth. Lord, help us not waste any suffering we might experience on uh, self-centeredness. Help us to self-sacrificially focus on our Savior so that people can see the gospel proclaimed through our perseverance. We can only do this with your help, so won't you, with your word and with your spirit, call us to it, give us strength for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so reasons for Christian suffering, and we've given you them. Peter has given you them over the past few weeks. I did mention last week I'm almost a little tired of talking about suffering just because it's not a fun uh, thing to think about, but God has very good reason for this being not just present in First uh, Peter here, and it's going to be a little present in Second Peter because, like I said, the suffering level increases, but in Galatians and Ephesians and the whole New Testament has this because this is what Christians are to expect. If they follow Christ who suffered, guess what will happen? You will suffer. You will um, I saw a picture, I think I posted it on social media this week, but it was, it was from a, like a 1800s uh, pastor and theologian, William Gurnall, and he said, um, we need to expect, expect suffering because Christ suffered. Christ should not have a delicate body under a crucified head. That's insane. I mean, if he suffered, how, why would we think that we, we should be excused or exempt from that. So he's going to give us reasons for Christian suffering here. And, and, and he does it a little different than he's done it so far. He's going to tell us what it's not. And, and by doing that, tell us what it is. All right, verse 12. He says, Beloved, before I go on there, I got to pause on that. That is such an amazing word. And when you see that in the New Testament, I pray that you grab a hold of it and embrace it because that is who you are. As Tommy led us in singing, I am he you say I am. You are the beloved. It's another name for the church. Do you know your love this morning? If you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, he loves you. You are part of the beloved. We together are the beloved. Do you think that gave them comfort, those who are going through suffering, to know that they're loved by God and to remember what he did for them? If there's any, like the suffering is clouding my idea that he loves me, uh, he, he calls them here to remind because the Greek word here is agapetoi, Agape being the Greek word for self-sacrificial love, the kind Christ had, the kind he showed on the cross. And he says, you self-sacrificially loved ones. That's what beloved means. So he's immediately calling them to the cross and how he's saying beloved. It's not just like, oh, you're loved. No, you're loved by Jesus Christ in a self-sacrificial way. This is who you are. And then he says, look, this is the first thing. It's not a cause for despair. The suffering in your life, it's not a cause for despair. It's not strange. Two times he uses that. Verse 12. 
It's not strange that you're suffering. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Instead of thinking that it's strange or a, a cause for despair, don't do that. Actually, you need to view it this way. It's God's design for your discipleship. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Do you want to be a disciple? You, you said that when you accepted Christ as your Savior. And when, when you did that, you joined him on that Calvary road. Uh, and so it's, it's his design of discipleship. Uh, it says that uh, in verse 13, you're partakers of Christ's suffering. If you have a different, uh, maybe a different version, it might say fellowship. That's the Greek word there's koinonia. Like we like fellowship in Philippians when it's talking about fellowship. I like fellowship like we're going to have Wednesday night when there's a bunch of biscotti there and a bunch of desserts. You know that. Um, I love that part of fellowship, but this is part of fellowship. Suffering. Suffering like Jesus. And you should rejoice, verse 13, because you are a part of that fellowship. Paul said that, I want to know him, I want to have a fellowship of his suffering. So uh, don't think it's strange, it's not a cause for despair. Suffering in your life, unjust suffering, like I didn't deserve this, I didn't do anything wrong, why am I experiencing this? It's a design of God for discipleship. Here, in verses 12 and 13, a third time now, Peter's calling us to have the right mental perspective because there's absolutely no hope that you're going to go through suffering the way God wants you to if you don't have it right here first. How you think is going to determine how you act. And so he says here, don't think it's strange. He says, think, don't think it's strange. Well, you know, I think in uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Last week, chapter 4, verse 1, he said, arm yourselves in your mind with the mind of Christ. And here he says, don't think it's strange, because how you think is going to determine how you act. We have to have a mental readiness, Christian. This is why later uh, next week he's going to tell us, be sober and be vigilant. You have to always be on ready because suffering is going to come. It may be in your life. You might be coming out of it, but it's a reality. Be ready. Here's always the reason. And all three of these things and all these three reasons for Christian suffering, let me tell you what the ultimate kind of overarching meta-narrative reason is. God is glorified. I don't know how that works. I don't know how God is glorified in your suffering in every specific way. I do know that when you follow Jesus, you are proclaiming him to be worthy above all else, even comfort, even pleasure, even health or wealth or anything that the suffering might deny you, you are saying Jesus is worth more. That in your specific life, it may look very different from the suffering I am called to endure. The suffering that you're called to endure, uh, we, we might think harder, less hard, more difficult, less. No, it's God has given you a cross to bear. And he says that in Mark chapter 7, he says, any man that wants to follow me needs to take up his cross. Not mine, I already did that. You need to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. And this is what he's asking us to do uh, through suffering. God is glorified. That's what it says in verses uh, 12 and 13. He says, rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers. You have this koinonia fellowship of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, that's what it's all about. It's all about his glory. There's going to come a time when suffering is done. Jesus is going to come back. All right. He's going to restore creation uh, to that pre-sin state. So suffering won't be a part of it. And when his glory shall be revealed, you might be glad also with exceeding joy. So your suffering is to point to that, uh, to give you that hope, to focus your mind, even here and now, on that reality that he's coming back and there's going to be a time uh, when we don't have to deal with it any longer. That's glorifying him. 
I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I don't. Like the specific little reason. That's what we always want to know, right? When we're going through suffering, why? <laughs> Two things will help us. When is it going to stop and why? Well, we know there is going to be an end, right? There will be an end, amen? I'd, I'd like it for you that it end right now. I would. But only if God will be glorified and be for your good. There will be an end. There is also a reason. And so scripture doesn't give the reason that I suffer or Miss Rose suffers or Mary suffers. It doesn't tell me that specific thing maybe all the time. But what it always provides me is this, this macro reason for suffering. It's always to make me, as a believer, less satisfied uh, in myself and sin and this world and more satisfied in Jesus Christ and his will and the world to come. That is always the reason for your suffering because that's what glorifies God. God being glorified here is the, is the whole purpose. Now, he says in verse 14, it's not, just a, it's not a cause for despair. It's actually a design of discipleship. It's also not a communication of desertion. Right? Verse 14, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. And you're like, boy, I sure don't feel happy. But this is a promise of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. So Peter's quoting it here. He heard it from the lips of his Savior, the one he's following. Happy are ye. Why? Well, we're told here. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. Please don't let Satan tell you it's a cause for despair, that it's strange. It's not. It's actually, it's the new normal. Please don't let Satan tell you that it's a communication of desertion, that God's abandoned you, and that's why you're suffering. Uh, that's something that every believer struggles with. As we've gone through Psalms, we're seeing that in the life of David. Where are you, God? Well, God isn't gone anywhere. He's right there. Right? And suffering, one of the things it does for us, it actually doesn't communicate abandonment. It's the promise of his presence. That's what verse 14 says. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Why are you happy? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Look, if you're a Christian, whether you're suffering or not, the Holy Spirit rests on you. It does. You have an indwelling. That happened at the moment of regeneration. The Holy Spirit comes into you. You have him with you all the time. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the spirit of Christ, that comforter, that another advocate, another just like me that Jesus promised. And that's who we have. So what does this mean? I already have him. I mean, I, all I have, can believe there is it means that when you're suffering for Christ and you're persevering how God wants you to, you're going to have a special sense of his, his presence. You already have him. Maybe you have a filling instead of just an indwelling. This is what's promised to us here. You will be happy. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God, it rests on you. And for uh, the, on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. What's the ultimate reason of suffering then? Again, God is glorified. We have it again here in the second one. Not a communication of desertion, but an actual promise of his presence. Charles Spurgeon said, those who dive in the deep seas of affliction bring up rare pearls. And they do. And sometimes that pearl is, is a, a sense of the presence of God you never had before. I, I'll take it. I'll sign up for suffering if I get that. I'll do it. I want that. Great suffering on earth always has great support from heaven on earth. God will never leave you or forsake you. You'll have a sense of his presence here. And God is glorified in this. It says, on their part, uh, he is evil spoken of, but on your part is glorified. When you persevere through suffering like God is asking us to here, and when we follow Jesus exactly like he went through that suffering, the gospel sings more loudly in our life. 
It speaks more loudly. Look, when you can come here and in the suffering that you're experiencing, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical pain, maybe it's the you know uh, spiritual oppression. I mean, you can come here and you can sing like you just did. That is loud praise to God. In front of others, when you can do that during the week, and you'll say, "No, I'm not going to resort to sin like Satan's tempting me to," because this, boy, I could just use this. I need a day, and that day meaning that you you don't do what God wants. All right. When you say, no, I'm not going to do that because he is worth more. He will get me through. He will hold me fast. That glorifies God in a very loud way. It's like having a megaphone to your normal praise level. All right. Third thing, not a confirmation of dishonor in verses 15 and 16. Don't ever think of it as shame. Instead, it's actually a reason for rejoicing. But let none of you, verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, as a busybody, in other men's matters. Boy, Peter really spans in one short verse a big vice list, like Paul sometimes gives us a couple of them. He's like, uh, don't be a murderer and don't be nosy in other people's (laughs) affairs, right? Um, Which, Christians can do this? He's writing to Christians. Wow, Christians can be murderers? And he's like, like, if this is the reason you're suffering, that's not what I'm talking about here. I mean, if you suffer as a result of that, that's called consequences to, to disobedience to God's law. All right, but, verse 16, yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. What behalf? That he's a Christian, that he calls, claims the name of Christ. All right, God is glorified in, in this as well. It's a reason for rejoicing. Look, uh, if you're being a Christian, a Christ follower, do you know this is only third place in the whole Bible that that term is used? Only third place. You think, Christian, we use that a lot, right? Uh, in God's word, this is the third time. The other two are in Acts. The first one being in uh, Acts 11:26 in chapter 26, 28. But um, in both those instances, it's it's probable that it wasn't like a nice name, like that's they made fun of people. They're like, "Oh, Christian, little Christ, that's who you are." And this is only the third time. And he says, "If you suffer because you're a little Christ, because you own that name and you claim that name, uh, be happy." It's not a reason for shame because, verse 16, God is glorified on that behalf that you will claim the name of Christ. Please do that. You know, in our culture, I think we've come full circle. There was a time when being a Christian was a a proud thing in America. It was a thing, I mean, I don't mean pride in a negative way. I mean, the majority of people claimed the name of Christ. They might even lived that way. Now we got neither, really. Very few people will claim it. They deny him. They're embarrassed. Uh, if you claim the name of Christ, if you make decisions based on this book, if you think there's absolute truth and it's found in this book, you're a nut. That's what this world thinks. I mean, I've actually had people say that. Well, well that's good, but I mean, why do you do that? It says so in here. You're living your life by a book that's written thousands of years old? Yeah, I am. <laughs> It's the way, the truth, and the life. It's how I know of the way, the truth, and the life. It's a power, I mean, this is the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Yes, I'm doing that. And they think I'm crazy. And I'm okay with that. I am. I'm fine with that. Are you? Are you fine with that? Um, if it goes beyond, you're a nut, Jason. Are you fine with that? I love you. I want to prepare you. We could be in a place very soon where it goes beyond, you're a nut. Kitty, for loving Jesus, and you're a nut, Joe, 
for loving Jesus. What will you do? Are you fine with that? I am. I pray, I pray that you will be. Look, uh, he is more precious to me than this world's approval. He, he is. I hope he is for you. And while that any negativity, it's not fun to be called a nut, right? <laughs> uh, but it's no reason for shame. This is what he's saying here. It's a reason for rejoicing because you say, look at what I have. That's what we sang this morning. I am who you say I am. I know the wonderful, matchless grace of Jesus that came down and grabbed me on, on a path of self-destruction, going to hell, and transferred me into the kingdom kingdom of his son into his marvelous light I know what he's done for me I was lost in sin I was on my way to hell and Jesus paid it all I'll own it I'm fine with that call me it's not a reason for shame say what you want but I can't help but but rejoice this is what Peter is calling you and I to here in the midst of suffering uh, as A.W. Tozer said no I claim the holy right to disappoint men in order to avoid disappointing God he's number one so what his, his view of me is what matters most. Now, responses to Christian suffering in verses 17 to 19. Here's what we are supposed to, how we're supposed to respond. Those are three reasons or three knots, and by the knots we have the, what it is too. But now uh, responses to Christian suffering, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it uh, first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So, first of all, let me give you a call for context here, and this is what it, I think he's saying here in verse 17. Uh, Christ took our punishment on the cross for our sins. Amen? All right, so by, by grace and through faith, that's all wiped out. So why are you suffering? Is it for sin? No. All right, you're not suffering for sin. So the suffering that we have, it's not a punishment for sin. Jesus paid that, so it can't be that. That's a common idea, though. Even today, it wasn't in Jesus' time. Do you remember in John uh, chapter 9, it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Master, who did sin? Him or his parents? Jesus is like, what are you talking about? And he said, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. He's, you know why he was born blind? This is amazing. That the works of God should be made manifest in him. Do you know why you're suffering? If you want to know a reason, this falls into the reasons we've gave, all, all of them being this one reason, to make you less satisfied in yourself and sin and this world and more satisfied in, in Jesus Christ and his will and the world to come. You're suffering, Christian, if you're suffering unjustly, not for anything you had done, you're suffering that the works of God will be manifest in you. That's a privilege. Wow. I don't know, like, to who? Do you see that? This is the reason this man suffered. To who was this supposed to be manifested? To the disciples? Yeah, I think so. Maybe to him. He, he, he got his sight back. He's healed. Um, may, maybe to Dublin First Baptist Church on September 29, 19. Maybe to us. Right here today, this man was born blind hundreds, thousands of years ago so that you and I would stand in awe of God and you would have strength to keep on going in your suffering. That's how God works. So maybe your suffering isn't even about you. Maybe it's about your husband or your wife or your grandkids or your friend who needs to look at you and see somebody who goes, yeah, it's rough, but <laughs> I've got Jesus so that they can do the same and give him all the glory. 
It's not punishment for sin. Christian, if it's in your life, it's purging for sanctification. This is the promise where we have says this judgment, this judgment, the kind you and I are experiencing. You can think of it as a judgment, but it's not a punishment for sin. Jesus paid that. It must begin at the house of God. That's you and I. And if it first began at us, what shall the envy of them that don't obey the gospel of God? No, theirs is different. Theirs is a punishment for sin. All right. Um, but it's contrasted. What we experience is contrasted with what they are. For you and I, it's refining. It's not retribution. It's to prove our faith and to purify our faith and that the works of God might be manifested to ourselves and to others so that he be glorified. So then he gives us in verse 19 a call to commitment. Verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So first we have the example of Christ. Peter's done that every time in the last like three weeks. He's been calling us to suffering. Look to Jesus. And he's like, uh, you need to do what he did. So when, the moment he experienced the most profound level of suffering there on the cross, he literally said this. He committed himself to God. Uh, in the Greek, paratithosan, uh, an accounting term uh, that's usually used for deposit. It's, it's rare that it's found in biblical language. It's like when you go to the bank, when you get paid, Jamie, you get paid, um, it's probably direct deposit, right? So you can't spend any of it, right? Delina's like, get in, in there, right? Uh, so you do that, but are you ever like worried it didn't go in there? A little bit? Right, you check, I check, especially when all I got to do is, you know, my fingerprint and okay, yeah, that's in there. Good. No, I, I understand that, but you trust the bank. You, don't, you probably don't go in there every day and ask them, do you have my money? <laughs> they, you trust them, and if you're willing to trust them with your money, your, your livelihood, I mean, it could mean groceries on the table. This is the same thing. He's like, commit yourself to God. Christian, commit in the suffering. You may not understand, but this is what he's calling us to. This is what Jesus did in the garden before he went to the cross. He says, not my will, but thine. I commit it to you. I understand that this suffering I'm about to experience is your will, God. And I don't want to go through it. But not my will, yours. Yours. And then on the cross, Luke 23:46, this is literally what he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I know, I know <laughs> that you will raise me from the dead. I know that the reward that I have of eternal life and winning a bride for you is so worth everything I'm experiencing. That first deacon, uh, Stephen, shortly after he became a deacon and was called on to give his life for Christ, said the same thing. Father, receive my spirit. I commit it to you. So we have the example of Christ and, and Stephen here of what we're called to do here. But uh, also the effectiveness of Christ is presented. Uh, you know, it's the one who created you can he get you through this? <laughs> the one in Isaiah 40, the one who uh, holds the waters of the earth, this is what it says, in the hollow of his hand. There's a lot of water. You've been to the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, that's a lot of water. Holds it in the hollow of his hand. He measures heaven with a span. The heavens. Like, I mean, it's amazing when you think, because, like, I, the moon's far away, but you're talking about billions of galaxies we've never seen, and our God measures heavens with a span. This is who we are committing ourselves to. Do you feel a little better about committing yourself to him now? Sometimes we just forget who he is. And, uh, yeah, the one who recreated you, the one who died for you, can the one who left heaven's glory to walk the Calvary road for you, can he get you through 
Does he want to? Amen. Yes, he does. Is he not mighty to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him? That's literally what the verse says. It's a promise. He is mighty to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him. So this is what committing looks like. And I say this with, with love and with um, a little bit of experience and a lot of failure. <laughs> but this is what God's word calls you to. So pray for me, and I'm going to call you to this and pray, you, pray for you to succeed in this. But um, it's a call to continue. Not just a, this is what commitment looks like. So he calls us to commit, but here's what commitment looks like. And well-doing, all right? Do you notice that? In the Greek, it's actually the last two words. It's like I think God through Peter is trying to be so emphatic that this is, this is trust and suffering. So let me read it that way. Commit the keeping of their souls to him as unto a faithful creator in well-doing. And what he's talking about there is that... Uh, even in our suffering, we're called to still do. <laughs> we live in a world where most of the time when any kind of suffering comes, we, oh, I need me time, I need a me day, I'm going to focus on self-care. That's not what Jesus did. The self-sacrifice is what Jesus did. So if I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to endure suffering the way he did, I'm going to have to do it just like he did. Christ-like suffering doesn't hit the pause button. And please know, I got this all week, <laughs> and I'm still convicted over this. Christ-like suffering through Christ-like faith doesn't hit the pause button. Well-doing still needs to be done. You see, that is what proclaims his worth. It's not just enduring suffering. There's a world out there that doesn't know Jesus, and they endure suffering. They don't do it the same way we do it. They don't have the same strength and help we do. They don't do it for God's glory, but they persevere. I've known people who do it in the army. I've known other people. You know people who aren't saved, and they're, they're having a rough time, but they're enduring suffering. It's not just endurance. It's you continuing to do what, what God has called you to do through the suffering. That is where uh, the gospel is proclaimed. That is how the gospel is proclaimed. Let me give you Jesus. 100% man, 100% God, he got tired at times when he walked this life, when he, when he served people. Matthew 13, 14 says, And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. He needed a moment. And uh, he tried to get it. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And what did he do? Keep going? Away? I said, I need some me time. No. It says, and Jesus went forth, went to them, and he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. See, if we're the beloved, those who Jesus Christ self-sacrificially served in the way he did, guess what we are called to be? The beloved, those who self-sacrificially serve, even in suffering. That's what he did there on the cross, even in that last moment. He's looking down, and we learn in John 19, he looks at his disciple John and his mother, and he says, John, take care of my mom. The very last drops of blood probably being drained out of him, back shredded, needing some me time, the father about to turn his back on him, and he says, take care of my mom. And it, 
I really believe when he was on that cross, it's not just a cute Southern gospel song. I believe he was thinking about you. I believe he was thinking about me when he was on there. He wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't waiting for self-care. He lived self-sacrifice. This is the endurance we're called to. This is how we avoid detours. Here's the summary. How do we avoid the detours in suffering? Because there are many. They're doubt. They're self-focused. They're just giving up, plain giving up. So how do we follow Christ? This is a review of everything. We realize that sometimes suffering is his will for us. We realize it's God's design. We realize there is purpose in it. We realize that there's God's presence in it, like we heard today. We realize that our identity in Christ is proven by it. If I'm suffering, I'm doing, I'm doing just what you did, Jesus. And I realize that it's a reminder of the victory over sin because, like we learned last week, he who has suffered, he who has died, has ceased from sin. And so by faith in you, I can say no to that temptation. I can live for you. In faith, we are called here to persevere as he per persevered and to continue, like last week, to continue to pray and to continue to love and to continue to serve and to continue doing well. That's what makes your uh, endurance resound to his praise. So I'm not sure where everyone is this morning. You might have just come through uh, suffering and you did it with success. Praise the Lord. Your faith was deepened in that event and God is glorified and, and the gospel was proclaimed. Please ask for his help to do it again because there's going to be an again and praise him for the help he gave you. Maybe you came through it with not a A plus and there was a struggle. I'm there with you. And um, your faith wavered, and, and um, the cause of your suffering was glorified more than the creator, and, and the gospel might have been veiled. Confess and repent that he's uh, ready to forgive you and to help you next time. Maybe you're in the fight right now, and suffering's causing you to doubt his goodness or to doubt his purpose in it or his presence in it. Won't you humbly bow this morning, wherever you are, as God leads you to, and say, give me an understanding of your power over this suffering and your goodness in it, because that is what will glorify you. And God, I promise you, he will answer that cry for help. That's what brings him glory, that level of dependence. I need you to get through this. I'm not supposed to do it on my own. That's not your design. So Tommy's going to come. Uh, he's going to uh, lead us in a hymn invitation. Look, Christian, there's suffering on the horizon. I really pray that I don't want you to experience it, but it, you are going to. And maybe your family, and maybe your kids, and maybe your church, maybe your Sunday school class, won't you plead to God on their behalf that they will, they will go through it? that they will stay strong. As God uh, moves you to respond today, I just ask that you'd obey.